0: Welcome to the 63rd episode of the 4th and 24 podcast with Patrick Winograd. I'm your host, Randy Winograd. In this edition of the podcast, our topics are a recap of Patrick's weekend predictions, a discussion of the upcoming NBA draft, we'll talk about the Major League Baseball trade deadline, and discuss all things Olympics. Let's jump right in with a look back at Patrick's weekend predictions, which are posted every Thursday on our website, 4thand24.com, and all the predictions this week are in Major League Baseball, So we'll take a look starting with the Mets Blue Jays, where the Mets took two of three from the Blue Jays, Patrick incorrectly picking the Blue Jays to win that series. And in the series between the Brewers and White Sox, the Brewers took two of three from the White Sox and Patrick also incorrectly picked the White Sox to win that series. The Reds took two of three from the Cardinals, with Patrick correctly picking the Reds. And finally, the Royals swept the red hot Detroit Tigers, of course, because we talked about how good they were. Patrick incorrectly picked the Tigers to win that series. So Patrick went one and three this weekend in MLB predictions and one and three overall, as there were only MLB predictions. That brings him to one forty nine and one twelve overall, a fifty seven point one percent winning per- percentage. Patrick, your thoughts?
1: Well, I'm hoping to get to one hundred and sixty two wins before the one hundred and sixty two game season of the MLB is over. That's a that's a little bit of a numerical kind of fun goal that I have, but I don't know if I'm going to get there at this rate. Definitely not at this pace. Um, but yeah, uh, I'll, I will say this. I kind of got screwed over a little bit. I made my predictions, and then the morning after, the Mets decided, you know that to-be-determined starter that we had for that third game against uh, against the Blue Jays? Yeah, that's Rich Hill, actually. So, uh, not going to lie, probably would have picked the Mets if, that, if I had known that that was Rich Hill against Ross Stripling, the, the matchup of former Dodgers, as opposed to a random bullpen game from New York. Uh, so that's kind of unfortunate that that happened. So, and by the way, that game, that series was tied up one to one going into that final game. And by the way, uh, at the same time, the Blue Jays did have a three-one lead and then lost that lead, uh, and then almost came back and had I think bases loaded in one out, I think, uh, and then only managed to get one to make it five to four in that last game. But I will say the Rich Hill surprise start was a little bit, uh, that that, that really put me in a bad position for that last game. Uh, in terms of the Brewers and the White Sox, I don't really know what happened with the White Sox this weekend. Their offense didn't really come through. Their pitching wasn't the greatest uh, up until really the third game where they came alive and finally played like the White Sox normally do. Although, actually, their offense didn't really produce much, only scoring three runs in that game. Uh, so that, that one was incorrect because of that. But look, credit to the Brewers. It's a very good team. And this is why I picked the series, because it was between two really good teams, the two the leaders of both central divisions in the, in the MLB. Uh, and then in the series between the Reds and the Cardinals, which was probably going to be a series that pushed one team to the buying side of the trade deadline or the selling side uh, or kept one or the or both of them, frankly, on the fence, the Reds did end up taking that series. Uh, we'll have to see what the Cardinals do because of that. But I think the Reds are a lot more desperate to make the playoffs than the Cardinals are because the Cardinals have made it recently and they're probably not going to be selling either because anybody that they only have for... This year is retiring next year, uh, be it Adam Wainwright, Oriotti and Rolino. But uh, I think, and, and I, I, I'm going to be quite honest, I don't think Matt Carpenter is going to be really a hot, a hot a hot, topic for other teams and a, and a big target that anybody wants not to be not to be rude to him. He has a great career, but I, I don't think anybody really wants him at this point, and he's going to be a free agent after this season. Uh, so they don't really have anything to be selling anyway, and they probably look to be winning in the future. So you'd assume that uh the Cardinals, yeah, anyway.
0: We'll talk a little bit more about that in a later time. Exactly,
1: but yes, this this might push one team to one side and probably kept the Reds on the buying side, but who knows? We'll we'll get to that. Uh the Royals sweeping the Tigers, I will say the Tigers blew a 6-nothing lead in game 2 of the series and I think from that point on you're not going to win the third game regardless of what happens in it. It's just the mental blow of losing 6 to nothing and being uh, look, even though they've had a great, uh, a great little run here since the All Star break, they are, after all, still an under five hundred team, right? Still and, and so the, and, and by the way, so are the Royals, and they shouldn't, and they should be better than that because they have a lot of one year deals and older guys and former, actually, two former World Series winners in the outfield, and along with all their old guys that used to be on the team, Salvador Perez when they won the World Series. So look, they have a lot less excuses than the Tigers do. But at the same time, the Tigers are a really young team. So as soon as you blow a six-nothing lead, it feels like there's no coming back from that. At least the game after the reset has to be playing another team, well, uh, having a really that, good start.
0: Having lost game one, they lost the series two, so they wouldn't help you.
1: Right, but I mean, look, they blew, but they blew game two. And my point is, if they had maybe not blown the yes. lead, maybe carry some momentum, and you got a young team, they like momentum. But maybe they win the third game because of that, because after all, the Royals only scored five, so could could have won that game, but. Uh, yeah, not not great from the Tigers, but yeah, overall some really close series, some good series this weekend, and some fun to watch series.
0: All right, well, Patrick's weekend, Patrick's predictions for next weekend's game will be posted on our website twenty-four dot com on Thursday. Let's transition to uh, a look forward to the NBA. We've been looking backwards in the playoffs and during the regular season. Now with the NBA Finals wrapping up, as we talked about in the last podcast. We turn our attention to the forward, uh, to the forward, forward-looking for the NBA, and the next big thing in the NBA is Thursday's NBA draft. So let's take a look at the NBA draft, uh, Patrick. I'm gonna, you know, maybe prompt a few questions I have. You know a lot more about the NBA and most things sports than I do. So let's start at the top. Uh, the Detroit Pistons won the draft lottery. They have the number one pick in the NBA draft. What do you think they do?
1: Well, I think you could have even phrased this question of, is there a second option at number one? Because I think, look, uh, hmm, how many times have I said the name Cade Cunningham, Cunningham, the eventual number one pick when we were talking about college basketball, right? I mean, I think I said it enough back then. And really, look, five months later, nothing has changed. It's still the same Cade Cunningham. You're not going to pick differently just because... I don't know, something happened in the NCAA tournament all the way back in March that all of a sudden you're having flashbacks two three months ago and you think, oh my God, he can't beat Oregon State. He can't beat an NBA team. L- look, Cade Cunningham's the number one overall pick. Uh, although, you know, being having a Detroit franchise picking first means that you don't actually really know that they would be able to lock up such a sure thing. Uh, but, because sometimes, let's not... let. let Let's not lie to ourselves. There have been some some missteps with some pretty obvious number one overall picks in many sports before, but I don't think this is one you can mess up. And by the way, Cade only visited one team, and that was the Pistons. So if he and his agent are that confident in being picked, I'm pretty sure the Pistons are confident in him too, and he probably would have scheduled other ones after the fact if that interview didn't go so well. And, they, and there would have been many people lining up, especially Houston, the pick right after them, to take that interview.
0: This is one of those rare instances where the where there's a consensus number 1 pick and that consensus number 1 pick fits a need for the team with the number 1 pick too. Yeah. So I think yeah. I think uh, like you said it's pretty obvious. It's not
1: team. even it's not even a question of are you picking best overall or best for your or best for your team needs. It's really he fits both. both. Yeah. And he's right. definitely the best overall. Well,
0: from a team in the in the East that uh, won championships uh, a couple decades ago, to a team in the East uh, that won a championship very recently. The Toronto Raptors are two seasons removed from that NBA championship. But it seems like light years ago as they now hold the number four pick. With the loss of Kawhi Leonard, they don't appear to have the kind of player that can lead you to a championship. Given this, should they keep the number four pick and find such a player in the draft? Or do they try to trade down to maybe get more bodies as they they seek to continue to build around or augment around Kyle Lowry and uh, Pascal Siakam?
1: I think they I think they have to stay at four. Uh also because we're gonna get to this later, but the talent beyond four it starts to drop off a little bit. Um and I think that if you can get Jalen Suggs to play as a one two combo in the front court with Kyle Lowry after you lost Norman Powell this season, that's pretty good. And I don't I don't know what the situation is with Fred Van Vliet, but uh if they wanna continue doing that thing where they were kinda playing three guards that were really, really small, they could continue to do that. Uh they could maybe bring him off the, maybe they could pick Suggs and they can just bring him off the bench for a little bit and then kind of start him after kind of what like Charlotte did with LaMelo ball. Uh, And by the way, you'd be putting Fred Van Vliet back into a confident position that he likes off the bench. Uh, Although I think he would want to start. And by the way, if he wasn't going to be starting, if they pick Jalen Suggs, he'll probably go somewhere else in free agency, but that's a different discussion when it comes to the Raptors. We'll have to see what they do with that. Uh, But yeah, I think they. I think they stay at number four. I think. I think the the amount of the good the the quality of a player that you're going to get at four in this draft is really good and good enough that you have to stay here and there's no real reason to trade down, especially because Toronto has a good history of developing players in the second round and they have all those picks from prior years that they can continue to develop. And if they want to make this rebuild as quick as possible, as in last year was kind of the rebuilding year, so so to say. Uh, they they just gotta, if they're gonna build around Kyle Lowry and Pascal Siakam, you gotta do it this season. Uh, and I think them not trading pa- Kyle Lowry or Pascal Siakam last year at the trade deadline when multiple teams were asking uh, probably shows you that they do have belief in these guys, that they can lead them back to the playoffs and make a deep run, but I think that this pick means that they have to get a third guy, and if they're gonna get a third guy, it's probably gonna be a high pick in the draft, as opposed to looking for someone else in free agency because they're not that attractive of a destination.
0: All right. Well, as you alluded to in the discussion of the Raptors' number four pick, many draft experts have opined that this is a very top-heavy draft with the talent level dropping off significantly after the top four players. Do you think there are impact players to be had at picks five to 10? And if so, who are they?
1: Well, I think, honestly, the one thing about this draft is it's it's a very weird draft. It is very, very top-heavy, but at the same time, it's a really, really, really deep draft class. I think the 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 amount of players, the amount of quality players from from ten to really thirty is a lot. Like there are a lot of different ways that you could go at any pick. Uh, I could see someone who was mocked to go eleventh end up going twenty seventh. It's all possible. Uh, there are a lot, a lot of good players down the line, but I think the one that I would point to is Jonathan Kaminga, who's supposed to be. Not in the top four, even though as you started the season, you really had Cade Cunningham, you had Jalen Green, and you had Jonathan Kuminga. Especially from the recruiting rankings, those were the guys that you thought would be the would be the big players when it came to draft night. Uh, Green and Kuminga both went to the G League Ignite team. Uh, but then you have Jalen Suggs and Evan Mobley, who both had really, really, really great seasons for Gonzaga and USC, uh, and they end up climbing the draft board. So now you get Suggs projected in that top four somewhere, depends on who, I mean, it's possible he goes to Houston at two. It's possible that he goes at four. There's a lot of different variability there, but uh, I think that Suggs and Suggs Green, Cunningham, sorry, I was about to say Kuminga, um, and Mobley are easily the top four. But look, Kuminga was ahead of half of them to begin the season. Who's to say that he can't be better than them in the future placed in the right situation? I think that that's a guy that somebody might get at 5-10, and I don't think he's going to fall below 7 or 8, uh, that might really make an impact.
0: All right. Well, uh, speaking of trying to make an impact, the Oklahoma City Thunder have stockpiled draft picks in recent years. They have six picks in this draft. They have three first-rounders, numbers 6, 16, and 18, and three second-rounders, numbers 34, 36, and 55. What should the Thunder do? Should they load up on young talent to keep more quantity, uh, to, to get more quantity, try to use those picks to trade up and get a higher profile pick, trade for some established player uh, in the league, or a little of both since they have so many picks? What, what do you think they should do?
1: Well, you don't stockpile the entire draft and buy out Adam Silver's contract to announcing the picks of, uh, of each draft just to, just to rebuild immediately and trade all those picks away. I think there's a reason why they have what? 30,000 first pick first round picks in the next five years that there's a reason why they're not planning on being competitive immediately um it's possible that they do what they have done recently where they kind of flip around a pick and a player and then return and then have that player play really well there as the main piece and then flip them for for two picks or another player and a better pick it's it's re- it's possible that they do that. Maybe they try to trade away 34 or 36 or both of them uh, and get a player in return and then turn that player into a first rounder later, which is basically what they did with Hal Horford and what they continue to try to do with a lot of different players, um, And which literally they did it with Danny Green. Danny Green never played for Oklahoma City, but he was technically on the team as, as of last season, but they, they flipped him so immediately to get extra picks. Look, this is just what OKC does, but... I think for the first-round picks, I don't think they're going to let anybody touch them. I think OKC's idea is that they can't recruit a star there, and it's going to be hard to get someone to trade that will play there. Like, if you told Portland, we'll give you three first-round picks, give us Damian Lillard, they'll say, well, Dame's not going to play for you, so what are you going to do with him? We'll take the three first-round picks for free if you want, but I just don't think there's any reason that they, they can't get anybody in a trade that's that high profile. So... It's going to have to be through the draft, and I think the idea of stockpiling all these picks was that if you get these many picks, you're almost insured that one of them turns out to be a star. So
0: they're playing the law of averages.
1: Yes. Sometimes the
0: best player is at number 12. In the, in the exactly. And 20. if you're going
1: to be that bad. I mean, as we talked about, what, Giannis was the 15th pick, and Devin Booker was the 13th pick, and look at them now. They got 16 and 18 and also 6. Maybe they blunder a little bit at 6, but you're almost guaranteed to find a one really, really good player if you have one high lottery pick, and two that are floating right around the edge of it. That's You're almost guaranteed to get someone who at, at, at some point is uh, an all-star snub, at the very least, a guy that's very well-respected. And by the way, maybe a guy that I'd say probably the level of Shea Gilgis-Alexander, where he'll get some votes, some people will recognize him, a lot of people like him, or like a De'Aaron Fox but maybe he's not exactly all-star level, but it's, it's almost impossible to not draft correctly. And by the way, OKC has a great history of drafting, right? They drafted Kevin Durant. They drafted Russell Westbrook. They drafted James Harden. They know how to draft. So I think they're confident in their front office to get the right players with these picks. But if they don't, they have three of them to fall back on. And it's almost, again, it's got, you have to hit on one of them when you have this many picks. And they're not trying to contend any time soon, so they're probably not going to trade those picks.
0: All right, makes sense. Uh, last question. Golden State Warriors have two of the top 14 picks. They pick at number 7 and number 14. With the current makeup of their roster, and this is assuming Klay Thompson returns from injury next year, and the competition in the Western Conference, what should they do to maximize their chances of being a contender in the Western, uh, for the Western Conference championship next year?
1: If their idea is to be what Vegas has them at, which is the number five contender overall for next year in the entire NBA in terms of championship odds, just behind the Bucks, actually, um, which is crazy, but I'll get, I'll go on that tangent on another time. But if they want to get there, I think what they have to do is have veteran players. You're not going to be developing a top-level draft pick in a year where you're trying to win a championship. That's not what championship teams do. However, we talked about them earlier one thing that people have been floating around is that maybe the Warriors can trade some of their top picks to get Pascal Siakam where you get some championship, not only just a, a, an older player, a championship player who has been on a championship winning team and who could fill a And by the way, Pascal Siakam and Draymond Green in the front in as your, as your power forward and as your center. First of all, you got a lot of great defense there. And second of all, Pascal can be a really good force inside and also help them space the floor even more and get back to what they were doing uh back when they were winning titles with Curry and Clay. So they can do a lot with that, and I really think that they're going to trade one of the at least one of these picks. Probably the seventh one to it maybe even just trade back, uh, and kind of do what you had suggested that maybe the Thunder might do, but I think there's no way that they end up picking at seven and at fourteen in this draft because look, if you want to contend, you need veteran players. You're not going to take the number seven overall pick unless you think that some guy is really, really mature, which I don't think there's anybody in the draft that would be that. I mean, it's really hard to find, right? This is the draft after all. Uh, unless you really think that there's someone like that, then you're going to trade back and you're going to and you're going to trade for a veteran maybe not even a veteran, but a guy like Pascal Siakam. And by the way, that would change the Raptors approach because if you told them that they could have three picks in the top 14, they would take it and just rebuild with Lowry kind of sitting there that maybe makes it, because they're in the East, they may, they still might be a fringe playoff team because the East is weak, kind of like that. Uh, and it might be enough to have three lottery picks and Kyle Lowry to make the playoffs. Whereas for the Warriors, they're kind of floating in between, in my opinion, a title contender and just a playoff team, a regular other playoff team. And you got to trade this pick to get that player that will push you over the edge and put you in the conversation with the Lakers, with the Suns, with the Nets, with the Bucks, whoever you want to name in the title contender conversation.
0: Okay, well, that, uh, that, that'll do it for our look forward at the NBA draft on our next podcast. Uh, it'll be the day after the NBA draft, so we will be talking uh, about what actually happened and see, uh, see, what, see what some of these answers to the questions, how accurate they were, and maybe some other surprising moves. Um, let's move and turn our attention to Major League Baseball. As we head to the end of July, Major League Baseball teams are going to be assessing what they may or may not want to do with the rest of the season as the trade deadline in Major League Baseball is looming at 4 p.m. Eastern time on Friday. So we figured we'd take a look at where we think various teams stand with respect to the trade market. Um, Let's start with the teams who we think might be the important buyers and, and what their needs are.
1: Uh, I think let's start at starting pitching. Uh, Look, what team doesn't need starting pitching? I feel like every single team in the league, it's a need, uh, especially for a lot of the teams in the AL, as we talked about, their all-star roster didn't have that much starting pitching. I think maybe even the Mets and the Brewers, you say, have great top threes. And by the way, spoiler alert, I have them on my list as teams who might be buyers for starting pitching because – Even if you have a great top three, that doesn't mean that you have a great back end of the rotation. And while they might not be useful by the time that you get to October and you get to the playoffs, they will still be useful in getting you there and getting to where you want to be winning your division. Uh, So let's start. uh, First of all, the Dodgers need pitching. They really, really, really need starting pitching. They thought that they had a surplus of it at the beginning of the year, but now unless David Price turns into a starter, they're running off of four starters with well, frankly, they're running off of three starters right now with a few of them on pitch counts. Josiah Gray, obviously, uh, not exact, still a top-pitching prospect, but you've got to limit the pitch count for those kinds of guys when they first come in the majors, so he can't pitch that much. Tony Gonsolin has to stay at a lower pitch count because he's recovering from an injury, and David Price is used to being in the bullpen, so they have to run his pitch count up again. They have to get starting pitching so that they're not running off of Urias and Bueller until Kershaw gets back. Who might be on
0: a pitch count when he comes back. Right,
1: exactly, because he'll be recovering from an injury. And then I I think the Bauer situation is so... I I don't think you can rely on him to be back for the rest of the season, and I don't think he will be. Um, So the Dodgers, obviously, first and foremost there. The Red Sox, who we talked about as having one all-star, but a very unimpressive all-star starter being Nathan Eovaldi. He had a great outing recently against the Yankees. But look, this team needs some starters at the back end, and frankly, you can put them at the front end depending on who you're going to get. Uh, I think if you were to slot a bunch of guys by ERA and just do it in numerical order from best ERA to lowest ERA or to worst ERA, and you just took a bunch of trade targets, you could find a lot of guys who would fit in as their fourth or fifth starter, and you could also find a lot of guys who would fit in as a second or even as a first starter. Um, So look, the Red Sox can definitely take some starting pitching. And then I have a little bit of a question mark. The Astros might be in the market, but I don't know. I think it really depends on... uh, On Justin Verlander's status and his recovery, if he plans to come back this year, if he does, then they're probably not going to be in the market, as he'll be maybe even out of the bullpen option by the time that you get to October, and maybe his pitch count isn't high enough for him to be a real starter. Uh, But he's definitely that would definitely change their fate. Then you have to go with the Rays, because look, they just dealt away Rich Hill, and they didn't get a starter back. So uh, the idea right now for them is that they're going to have prospects coming up, which, by the way, the Rays are loaded with good pitching prospects. But if they really want to make this run and make sure, I think you've got to get a fourth or fifth guy that you can maybe even just ping between the bullpen and the starting rotation just in case those prospects aren't exactly going to plan when they come up for the first time. Uh, and then you have the Padres, who a lot of people have talked about. They traded away Zach Davies in the offseason to get Hugh Darvish, and a lot of people think they might trade for Zach Davies now in the middle of the season. That's definitely an option for them. They need, They need pitching at the back end of the rotation, and they're injured. Uh, the White Sox also looking for back-end uh, depth. The Brewers and the Mets and the White Sox actually all have really good top threes, but they need so, they need some more guys at the end, and who and you can never have a surplus of pitching. Uh, and then the Yankees and the Blue Jays just generally no real ace, except for uh, the Blue Jays and the Yankees have Garrett Cole and Hyunjin Ryu, but then behind those two on both of the staffs, there's not really much that you like, uh, especially with Corey Kluber being injured for the Yankees. So a lot to be done there. Uh, and then let's move on to relief pitchers: Dodgers, Giants, Astros, White Sox, A's, Yankees, Blue Jays. The, look, there's no real talking about specific bullpen pitchers. If you need a bull, if you need a guy in the bullpen, you need a guy in the bullpen. It's as simple as that. All of these teams either have had their issues. I mean, look, Kenley Jansen has blown three saves in a row before before getting a save last night or two nights ago against Colorado. But other than that, I mean. Look, Canley has been a little bit inconsistent. You have Blake Trinan at the back who you trust, but if you can't let them pitch more than two nights in a row, what do you do when they can't pitch? And we've seen that most of those days, they end up giving up a lot of runs out of the bullpen. So that's a huge concern for the Dodgers. The Giants, really, the only only weakness on their entire team. I mean, they have the best starting rotation by ERA for, had at least, for most of the, the beginning of the season. So you have to say that they're fine there, but... Uh, and really they have a surplus of of, uh, infielders and outfielders and just position players overall, and they got a lot of guys who can play a lot of different positions, so they're really fine everywhere except for relief pitching. Uh, I think overall they have a really strong team, but at the same time you're not going to just sit by and let the Dodgers trade all their prospects and get a bunch of good players, and the Padres too, and just sit by and really do nothing about it. They're going to do something. So you'd assume that that comes from relief pitching Uh, And then for the Astros, the White Sox, the A's, the Yankees, and the Blue Jays, look, you're in the AL. There are a lot, a lot, a lot of quality lineups, especially within those four teams. And by the way, the Yankees' position might be shifting after their blown lead again uh, against the Red Sox yesterday. They have a lot of questions by the time it gets to Thursday because, look, why would you be buyers when you're nine games out of the division lead and it looks like the Red Sox are only going to get better? They're going to get Chris Sale back. They're probably going to trade for people. It looks really—and really, by the way, the Rays just got Nelson Cruz. It's not like they're the only team improving. Uh, it's very odd to be buying big guys for to try to get a wild card spot, but maybe the idea is maybe make the pitching a little bit better and hope that the lineup that they have gets a little bit healthier and starts to click more, and then you get a good team. Uh, and then the Blue Jays, A's, White Sox, Astros— you got to have good relief pitching to be be in the AL, and they just have to have three or four guys that they can really, really trust, especially when you get to the playoffs.
0: It never hurts to have extra arms in the bullpen, especially late in the year when everybody else is tired. That's why all these contenders are always looking for extra arms in the bullpen.
1: Exactly. Uh, And then when you go to outfielders, I'd say, look, I have the Yankees as the only team in this entire list of mine in all caps. And the reason why is because can I just stop hearing the Joey Gallo rumors and can they just already make the trade already? Like if you're going to make the trade, just make the trade. I think everybody in the world knows they're going to do it. I think everybody in the world wants them to do it. And yet here they are still not doing it. And then somebody floated around a report that they were planning on trading for Trevor Story and moving him to center field. So now we're really talking about getting desperate. And I think that that, that, by the way, The idea of moving Trevor's Story to the outfield just goes to show you how desperate the Yankees are for outfielders that they're like, look, he's a good bat and and he's a good defender. He must be able to play the outfield. We got to get somebody out there. It just shows you because he's been a shortstop his entire career and there's no reason to move him other than the fact that the Yankees actually, one of the positions that they have no weaknesses at, shortstop. So uh, the Yankees definitely desperate there. The Mets have been injured all year, and when their guys were out, they their outfield was really, really bad in terms of in terms of run production. Uh, and they have not been able to pull away with this division lead, even though they should, considering that every team in the division except for them is under 500. They have to be thinking about pulling away, ensuring that they can make that they can make the playoffs as a division winner for the first time in a really long time. Uh, And then the A's and the White Sox, look, the A's are going to be in it for every single position. Uh, That's just the way that it is. They don't really sign big free agents, so they could be in the market for anybody. And then the White Sox just have been so injured, they might get Luis Robert back soon. But Brian Goodwin and Billy Hamilton were not supposed to be starting in this outfield. And Andrew Vaughn at the beginning of the season, they've been great for them. But at the same time, they have to, if there's one thing that this team needs, it's outfielders. Uh, and look, the White Sox are really looking to make a run. They're in the conversation with the Red Sox and the Rays and the A's and all those teams and the Astros. They really need to shore up the outfield. And by the way, it's not a guarantee that once a guy comes back from injury, he's not going to be injured again. So you got to make sure that you're healthy out there. And Eloy Jimenez, too, actually. I think it's Eloy Jimenez who's actually scheduled to come off the injured list, I think, today, actually. So it would be a surprise and it would be a great thing for the White Sox. But that is exactly what they need. Uh, and then... For utility players that really anybody can play anywhere or DHs, uh, it's really the same big bunch of teams. The Dodgers, I think the Dodgers need someone anywhere just because of how injured they are. Uh, we've seen in past years how they can deal with the injuries because they have Kike Hernandez, they have Jock Peterson, and outfielder goes down. They, I mean, they had Alex Verdugo, right? They had a lot of guys who could fill in these holes when players were out, and now it's as soon as Mookie and Bellinger goes down, now it's Pollock. Okay, Pollock fits in for one of them and just starts playing every day instead of platooning a little bit. But then who's behind him? And it's it's a very big problem it's for... It's hard the,
0: to fill in five holes at a time.
1: It, it is. And it's a really big problem for the Dodgers. So they really could take anybody who can just play anywhere and they can just plug in wherever there's an injury. Gavin Lux goes down, plug him in at second base. I mean, that is really what Kike Hernandez was doing all that time. Uh, was, we need a second baseman for today. Turner's day off, put him at third. Uh, we need someone to play second base, let him play second. We need someone to play the outfield, put him in the outfield. Uh, I think that's a big need for them. I think the Red Sox, just because they might want, I mean, they might just need anything just so that they can feel very secure as the top team, in the AL. I think there's no reason to not load up any part of your roster more at this point. Uh, the Rays already dealt with their DH problem by getting Nelson Cruz, huge pickup but I think they could definitely serve to have more players that do everything because look, that's what the Rays like to do. They like to have guys who just play around the diamond everywhere and in the outfield too. And it would, and it would definitely help them. Then I have the Brewers here because look, their pitching is their definite strength is the definite strength of this team, but they would definitely love to have more help in the lineup. They've been trying the whole season. They got Adamas, they got Roddy Telez. They've been making a bunch of moves to get guys into the, into the lineup. And, their their offense has been good enough to get them to where they are now, but that's not good enough to win a title. They're not going to beat any of the teams out of the NL West with this lineup. I, I firmly believe that. Uh, and then I think the Padres were on this list early yesterday, but might start to slip off after what what trade they pulled off. But then you have the Mets also who, again, kind of like the Brewers, really good starting pitching, but some issues in the lineup. And then the Blue Jays just because why not? But on the, at the same time, they could actually be on the sellers list by the time That it's all said and done because, look, they're even farther out than the Yankees are. They're, I think, 10 games out of the Red Sox. So there's a lot of different things that could go on there.
0: All right. Well, so you've laid out the teams who are thinking that they're in contention uh, either for a playoff bid or for a championship and and, and their needs uh, and, and who could be the buyer's. So where are they going to get the talent from at what positions? Who are the sellers?
1: All right, I'll spoil one thing. The first team in every single column is the Cubs. Yeah, because what are the
0: announcers today called the Major League Baseball's buffet this year? I, th- buffet.
1: I think that's accurate. I mean, they already traded away Jock Peterson, right? There's no reason why if a team wanted him, someone would go get Jason Hayward from them. You could go get Ian Happ from them. You could go get a lot of guys from the Cubs. By the way, you could even pluck their manager and put him at catcher if you wanted to put yeah. David Ross back out of retirement. Might be an option for some teams. Uh, but look, they have good starting pitching. They have good relievers. They have really, really good relievers, actually. And that was the reason why they were on their huge win streak was because they would get a lead from a few guys in their offense, be up 3-2, to two, and their relievers would just shut the game down for a long, long time, and that's how they got on the win streak and looked like a contender again. Uh, And then, after the relievers started being just regular relievers who are still pretty much one of the best bullpens in the league, but not the best by far, all of a sudden now they're losing a lot of games, but Craig Kimbrell could be on the move here. Uh, Andrew Chafin could also be on the move. They have a lot of guys who people would want from the bullpen, and in the starting rotation, the same thing with Kyle Hendricks are Zach Davies, as I mentioned earlier, the outfield. You have Chris Bryant, right, uh, who plays outfield and third base. Somebody that maybe, I mean, if the Dodgers were looking for a Manny Machado type from three years ago type rental, that would be something that would be able to, I mean, you could put him in the outfield and then you could put him at third base on other days if Justin Turner's not playing. You could do a lot of things with Chris Bryant on that roster uh, and really on any roster in in any of those teams that I talked about as buyers infield same thing with uh with Baez and Rizzo you could say the same thing about those guys uh and then yeah but I I think teams who are trading anything I think is probably the next most important category I think the Pirates would give up anybody and maybe they're off this list because I think their one big target is is off uh the Rangers and the Orioles and the Diamondbacks uh the major sellers also with pitching are it's the Twins because they have Jose Barrios they have Probably not going to trade Maeda away just because they have control over him for a few more years, but Barrios could be an easy trade candidate. And by the way, going away from pitching, the news today—the news a few days ago, I believe, was that Byron Buxton could not get an extension done with Minnesota, which would mean he is probably on the market. And look, if you're not wanting Byron Buxton on your team, you need to not be a front office executive anywhere. Uh, you Anybody could use Byron Buxton. It's like having Mike Trout up for trade. You can't say, unless you're maybe the Dodgers and you're saying we don't need anybody better than Mookie Betts and Cody Bellinger. But by the way, would much rather have Byron Buxton than A.J. Pollock, even if he's the player of the month. Um, any team could take a guy like Byron Buxton and definitely use him. So they, the Twins are the big sellers outside of the Cubs. And then the Rockies have Trevor Story and John Gray, who you look to be guys that might be moved. Uh, the Marlins have Starling Marte, who's been, seems like, Every single time you turn on the TV, you hear about Gallo and Marte. They're talking. The Yankees want Gallo and Marte. It's every single time. You don't know who it's going to be, and then they want to move Trevor Story to the outfield. So the Yankees have a lot of uh, have a lot of sway in this market, by the way, because I think what they do might actually determine a lot in the market. And there were even some rumors that some executives believed that they might trade away Aaron Judge if the situation got out of control. Uh, which, by the way, another player like Byron Buxton who wouldn't need Aaron judge uh, and again it, it's it, it's it would be crazy to see him go just because he's the face of their team right now and the Yankees wouldn't trade away face the franchise like that but it's almost getting me to that point uh, you look at a guy like Eduardo Escobar and the Diamondbacks and then I just say big name targets uh, you got Max Scherzer. you got you got Cattel Marte on Arizona uh, you got we talked about Bucks and we talked about the three guys from Chicago you have Jonathan Scopin in Detroit which, Who knows that they're saying we have enough in our young guys that we believe in them, that they can be really good in the future instead of having to re-sign Scope after a career year for him. Uh, And then you have Anderson from Pittsburgh that has been made available, Tyler Anderson, Uh, maybe Kyle Schwarber, if Washington's willing to tear it down. We talked about Zach Davis. We talked about John Gray from Colorado and also Trevor Story. And then on-the-fence teams, the Reds, I think, the Mariners, the Phillies, the Angels, the Cardinals, the Braves, the Nationals, and the Tigers, although they don't have much to sell, but I also don't, they're not going to be buying, but they also don't have much to sell, as I said. So they're really on the fence because it looks like they're a team that are just going to sit and do nothing at the trade deadline. And then maybe the Yankees have moved off the buyers list into the on the fence after blowing a 4-0 lead with a no-hitter. That might have been the nail in the coffin for them. Uh, but I think those are what you have to look at with the trade deadline. And then obviously yesterday, the big, big news the Padres acquiring Adam Frazier, who leads the MLB in hits this season. He was the starting second baseman in the All-Star game for the NL, and he was a 2020 Gold Glove finalist, hitting 327 this year. That is a huge acquisition. And by the way, in case you're wondering, why would the Padres need a second baseman when they already had an All-Star second baseman, an All-Star shortstop, and an All-Star third baseman? Well, maybe you move Jake Cronenworth to play more first and put Hosmer out of the lineup more. Or maybe use Adam Frazier in left field where he's been used a little bit this season, and maybe put him in the outfield more instead of Tommy Pham. Have him kind of come off the bench a little bit more. So that one is a big trade, and I think it's sending a message. And by the way, that's why I think that the Giants are going to start buying at the trade deadline because I don't think I don't think they feel very secure knowing how much talent is on the Dodgers uh, that's even injured and what they can do in terms of trades. And then seeing the Padres make a deal like this, I think it makes them a little scared.
0: All right, well, that'll wrap up our Major League Baseball trade deadline talk. Let's transition from some uh, an American-focused sport with big news probably coming over the next week to uh, the world stage uh, where the summer games from 2020 have finally uh, kicked off in Tokyo in 2021. Patrick, uh, some big news out of the Olympics or the major stories for this week.
1: Well, I don't think there are any real major stories other than the USA losing to France, although I did say in basketball, although I did say that might happen. We, I, I mean, it didn't seem like it was a Kevin Durant problem, but at the same time, maybe he doesn't foul out if he wasn't being trolled by the whole congregation of the country. Uh, it's possible, but anyway, and also Evan Fournier hasn't played a game like that in at least six years, so I don't know where that came from either, but... Uh, as everybody says, as soon as you play someone on an international team, they just turn into a different player. It's just crazy. Um, but yeah, so first of all, you have to, you have to give credit where credit is due. The U S actually doesn't lead in medals right now. Right now it is China at 11. The U S is second at 10. The Russian Olympic confederation, because the country itself got banned, but the athletes aren't, um, are at seven in third. And then you have to
0: Sunday's action. Yes. Through, well,
1: Through Monday in Japan's action, but yeah, Sunday, just because there's too many things to keep track of. You never know what's live and what isn't at this point. Yeah, so we had to draw the line somewhere, so that's where we're cutting it off. Then you have Japan uh, with six medals in fourth, or or, yeah, in fourth, the host country, and then Korea at five, Italy at five. There are 21 countries with two medals already, which seems ridiculous, but uh, yeah, so there's a lot of medals going around, but I have to say... Let's talk about some of these events. I don't think we need to talk about the individual performances yet, because really the team sports are only still in the group stages, all that kind of stuff. Isn't badminton very fun to watch when you're not when when it's in the Olympics when you know that it's the four best players in each country, which is like the sixty best players in the world. Isn't yeah, it, it's
0: it, no, it's not your backyard. You know, string up a volley, use a volleyball net or whatever with little crappy birdies and hit it, lobbing it up in the air. and
1: With tennis rackets you know, or something? Well, yeah. Or
0: even with badminton rackets where you lob it up in the air, you wait for it to come down, and the wind impact is... It's like... <laughs> it is yeah. like people shooting bullets at each other. I mean,
1: yeah, and they mentioned that even they collected it in the Guinness World Record Book as someone hitting 205 miles per hour in the Olympics a few years ago. So, look, it's a fa- It's it's a lot more fast-paced than you'd think it was, and it's definitely not the same as you played it in your PE or your gym class in, in, in elementary school if you ever played it. Uh, but also... I'm done with regular basketball. How about three by three basketball? I like this, although I don't like the fact that the U.S. didn't send NBA players to the qualification tournaments, and we actually aren't even in this for the men's side. But the women's side has four WNBA players, and they're absolutely dominating right now. Actually, beat the top seed France. But it is really, really exciting to watch. To watch half court, it's basically just a game of twenty-one that you would play in a park, but with a twelve-second shot clock, and it's re- and also no no. Uh, no out-of-bounds or anything. You basically you take the ball out as soon as the ball goes through the net. It's really, really fast-paced, really fun to watch.
0: Yeah, it'd be, it, it's it's like backyard basketball, except uh, they do call fouls. It would be really they interesting if call. there were no fouls called. Or that would be a great Olympic
1: fouls. sport. Um, but, yeah, then you have – look, then you have swimming, gymnastics. They're all fun to watch. I think – uh, it's
0: swimming. Especially the Australian uh, coach uh, and his little histrionics after uh, his swimmer Gold
1: medal <laughs> and beat well, out Katie Ledecky, yeah, the 400 meter freestyle. There was a little
0: over
1: the top. I mean, look if you get if you got a volunteer at the Olympics to tell you to stop celebrating, you're doing something right as a coach. I think your players definitely performed well enough for you, and they won the gold medal, right? You beat the U.S. for yeah. a gold medal in swimming. It's got to be something, but uh, yeah, I think look, we just wanted to talk about the Olympics a little bit because, after all, it's really right now the only things that are going on. Uh, by the way, as soon as this weekend is over. It's literally just the MLB going on well, for NFL a long training time camp will start. until, but training camp doesn't have any games in it yeah. now, does it?
0: We'll have exhibition <laughs> games probably in a couple weeks.
1: Uh, yeah, I think the first one might be the Hall of Fame game. I don't know who's playing in it this year, but I think that's normally the first weekend of August. So, so. Get, getting
0: back to the Olympics, actually something that uh, I forgot to discuss with you: um, fencing, which I, which is uh, to me very silly. Except now they have electronic sensors with LEDs in the, fence, you know, the fencing face mask. Yep. it's a mesh face mask. Seen that. Yeah. So now it lights up. It's like almost like watching a video game. It lights up if somebody gets the hit on you, and it's very digital. It feels like a very. They've taken a very old, traditional, probably dating to medieval times sport oh, for and, sure. mo- and modernized it. So that was actually kind of interesting. That is interesting. And the interesting Americans' and- first ever gold medal uh, in fencing happened. It was a woman who who won it. So that's that's noteworthy.
1: All right, yeah, I mean, I think that definitely, by the way, maybe the MLB needs to look into whatever technology they're using for the strike zone and just put a giant LED light in front of Angel Hernandez's face to show him that it's a strike <laughs> uh, in the middle of the game, or CB Buckner won't single out one guy, uh, or really any umpire in the league at this point. But, yeah, I mean, look, the Olympics are really fun, and as I'm saying, look, the trade deadline is on Friday, the, the, uh, the NBA draft is on Thursday. The NBA finals are over. It literally is just the MLB until college football and the NFL start. Uh, And then it's the Olympics. It's just the MLB and the Olympics. So, look, we're going to be talking about it a lot more. This is a little bit more of an abbreviated talk about it, just overall breezing through the medals. And by the way, as soon as we get to the end, uh, as soon as we get to medal rounds for basketball, uh, medal rounds for tennis, sports that maybe we know a little bit more about because I don't think we can name a single athlete who won any of the gold medals. Um, and I definitely don't know that much about cycling races that take six and a half hours. But right now, this is all we got. But by the way, as soon as we get to the track athlete, I mean, who doesn't love watching Olympic track and field? It, it's all amazing. So we'll definitely be talking about the Olympics more in future podcasts when, we, when there's nothing else on.
0: Well, that's so since we're talking about what we'll be talking about in future podcasts. Uh, we're doing that because that wraps this edition of the Fourth and Twenty Four podcast. Please be sure to check out our next podcast, which will be on Friday, July thirtieth. Whereas Patrick mentioned, we will have more discussions about the Olympics. We're going to take a look back at the NBA draft, as we mentioned, and of course, we will have our weekly analysis of Major League Baseball action. In the meantime, please be sure to check out Patrick's additional content, including his pick for next weekend's game, his picks for next weekend's games, which will all be in the MLB again. So, picks for MLB series. And his MLB Power Rankings updates, which are posted on Saturdays on our website, 4thand24.com. That's the number 4, T-H-A-N-D, the number 24.com. Thank you for listening.